Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of The ISO with myself, Dan Dickow, your host, want to uh, welcome in today's guest, somebody that uh, as we began talking off camera before pressing record, uh, I've never met him face to face. I followed his career, I think, year one at LMU. He's done a tremendous job. I get to watch that WCC conference closely. I think he's got good things in store. I'm looking forward to hearing more uh, about the path and the direction of that Lion basketball program. So without further ado, want to introduce head coach Stan Johnson. Coach, thanks for joining. Appreciate being here, man. Uh, appreciate you having me. Look forward to it. Yeah, let's just jump right into LMU, your first opportunity uh, to run a program as a young head coach. You've got lots of experience in different conferences as an assistant. What was so appealing to Loyola Marymount for you? Well, it fit everything that I believed in. You know, I think that the mission of our school, uh, number one, uh, was attractive to me. Uh, two, um, I think the the right alignment was here. The timing was right. We have a president uh, that wants to win, that's committed to winning. We have an athletic director who gets it, who's been at a high level, who wants to win. And I think, you know, the three of us are really aligned in terms of what it's going to take to lift the program to where we want to go. And then, you know, you look at location and um, that's, huge. I, I felt like we were, this place was right in the middle of fertile ground uh, in terms of talent uh, here in California and more importantly here in LA. You know, I love that. And then the last part and the most important part, I felt like this is, you know, what the Loyola, Ma- Loyola Marymount degree um, means something. And when you combine all those things, it becomes more than just a four-year experience. It's a 40 year experience. And I, I felt like it fit my personality. And, and those were things that I could really sell and our staff could sell and, and kids would want to be a part of. You touch on a couple really solid points during my playing career at Gonzaga and then the broadcasting work that I do. I always look forward to going down to LMU because it's such a, a nice campus. It, it's not necessarily in the heart of LA where you get the hustle and bustle. Uh, but you get the palm trees, you get the space. How excited are you to be able to share that campus with recruits? Because everybody's recruiting has been done exactly like you and I are having this conversation on Zoom right now. What what kind of a game changer is going to be that be for you to have recruits on campus? I think it's going to be awesome. You know, we've it's opened up now where we can have officials and stuff, and we've had a few of those within the last couple months. Whenever that opened up. And the feedback's been great, you know, and the one thing here at LMU, the campus has always been beautiful. 
And the statement that I've made and the challenge that I've created to everybody here at the university is our men's basketball, our program has to match. The look of it has to match the beauty of the campus. And for a while, that's been missing. You know, the way Gersten looks, the way the locker room looks, the way our practice facility looks, the way the offices look, the way the weight, all those things have to have the beauty. And, you know, we have fundraised and done so much within the last 16 months to change the optics, you know, in terms of our program. And I think that's what excites me. Now, when a kid comes here, he can go, especially a high level kid, wow, this is one of the be most beautiful campuses in America. And they're really, really serious about basketball. And this is a place I feel like I can really get better at. And the things I dream about can happen here. So that's what excites me. Now I feel like the two things are starting to merge and they look similar to each other. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm really excited for the official visits and bringing parents and families and coaches here to, to share the LMU experience. One of those other three main topic points you talked about was uh, location where fertile ground of talent for for recruits and you mentioned just a second ago bring, being able to bring recruits on campus and seeing a great campus seeing a, a energized arena practice facility and all the like i've always felt and, and i'd love to hear your take on this and correct me if i'm wrong if you're a great evaluator of talent in the in the la area you're going to fall into a pretty darn good basketball team and i i, I believe and hopefully i'm not you know, speaking ill of, of the WCC conference, but the best players are typically going to go to a, a UCLA or USC. But if you have a great evaluation eye, you can get those players that are right at the cusp of that level and be competitive in no time. Am I fair in that assumption? Or how do you look at it? No, I, I think that's fair. You know, the one thing about UCLA and USC, those are outstanding brands and they speak for themselves and they're time tested. But just like us, they only have 13 scholarships. And those programs recruit, obviously, the city, the best players in the state well. Uh, but they also recruit nationally. They can't take everybody. Now, to your point, what we have to do is make sure we evaluate the guys that are good enough to be at those places, um, but maybe um, they can't take because they don't have a spot or a scholarship and we don't let those kids leave the city and go somewhere else out of town. You know, um, that's the biggest thing. And that being said, there are some other schools here. You got your Pepperdines and, um, you know, there's so many other schools around, obviously, uh, and there are schools uh, nationally that come in here to recruit. So, you know, you're up against it, but for us, we've made a full commitment that this is where we're going to start. We're going to protect home field and um, we're going to recruit L.A. hard and then we'll make decisions here and there and branch out. But we want to keep the highly talented kids here and, and here at LMU. With keeping a lot of the, the great homegrown talent from L.A. going to a school like yours at LMU, uh, you showed progress, I thought, in year one. I didn't get a chance to see you guys in person, but I had a number of games, watch you on television. Um, where do you feel that first 16 months you are on your path, uh, of on your plan? Because COVID has been such a topsy-turvy year for evaluating, for recruiting, 
for the grad transfer market, for developing of players, depending on where you lie with your school, allowing teams and players to get back together early enough. Where, where do you feel you are? I think, you know, in a lot of ways, we're ahead of schedule. And sometimes that's not always a good thing either. <laughs> then expectations change, but we want expectations. And I, I tell our guys all the time, man, um, you know, pressure is a privilege. And I want to create something here where, you know, there is pressure to win, you know, and there is an expectation to win. That's, that's who we want to be. Um, but, you know, the first thing and the thing that's most dear and near to my heart is culture. And I feel like over the 16 months, we've really grown the type of culture that, that we want to have here, the kind of soil that uh, we need to have here in order for things to grow. I think our culture is outstanding and our kids have really bought into that GPA wise, you know, we've set records in terms of, um, you know, the GPA, you know, we've broken the, the mark and the, for the highest GPA in the history of the program, that's a culture piece. That's buy-in uh, our connection in terms of the relationships that coach the player, player to coach uh, that we have here is strong. You know, guys are starting to fight for the culture themselves. So over 16 months, we've come so far with that. And I felt like last year, one of the biggest reasons we won is because the guys bought into the, the culture. So that I thought that was great. From a fundraising standpoint, I mean, we've set a record here in the athletic department for the most money raised in history. That's moving well. Um, recruiting, we, you know, at one point, I haven't looked at it, we had a top 40 class. We have three high school kids in L.A. that I'm really excited about, and the summer has proven that you know, for a COVID year, we, you know, we did pretty good there. Uh, we brought in three high level transfers, you know, that really fit and address the needs and the holes that we had. You know, I'm excited about those three guys. You know, there's a different project going on in terms of Gersten and redoing that, changing the seats, you know, adding, um, there's a $16 million project we're, we're, we're trying to get finished. And uh, so if, when I look back at my 16 months and I look at those things, you know, there's a lot of things that go, wow, I can't believe we were able to get so much done on the court. You know, when I got here, I think we were picked ninth or eighth. I don't know. Uh, and these guys in a tough year, when you have a coaching change, that's hard enough. When you have a coaching change through a pandemic and you can finish third, which hadn't been done, you know, since I don't know when, you know, those are all signs that we're on the right track. And I'm, I'm proud of that. That being said, you know, I'm not satisfied with any of that. And we, we have a chance to be special. We haven't hit that yet. And the, 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 the goal for this team now is to multiply, to take the next step and to come back and, and elevate again. Well, you're definitely on that pack path to multiply or continue to, to keep pace or, or leapfrog other programs in, in the league. When you look at the WCC for so many years, and rightfully so, it's Gonzaga at the top, but then uh, St. Mary's and BYU have kind of battled out the second and third place. You guys are kind of starting to itch into, into that kind of conversation of if you keep going in that right direction, can you be a consistent top three contender? What would it mean to you to be able to consistently be there and get LMU to the NCAA tournament be, as a coach? Because I know as a player – if I'm not mistaken, you played in the NCAA tournament and every coach wants their players to be able to experience that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why we're here. And I'm not going to shy away from it. And, you know, I speak it every day. And, um, you know, but like I tell our team, 
everybody talks about it. You know, can we have the best habits in the country? You know, th those are the things that allow you to get there. The reason the programs you just mentioned are consistent there, they have great habits. They have a great support system, the university backs them. And they are resourced at a level where they can compete at a high level. And if you have all those things, you have a chance to be successful. But absolutely, uh, the goal here is to play in the NCAA tournament every year. The goal here is to compete to be at the top of the league every year. And, you know, maybe some years you don't get there, but that's who I want us to be. Those are just words. And I, I don't say that in a braggadocious way. I want that for our kids. That's part of the collegiate experience. And our program has not been there since 1990. And, uh, you know, every day I look up at that banner. And I want to make Coach Westhead proud, Bo Kimball, Hank Gathers, everybody who's worn this uniform. There's been such a gap between the 90s and where we are now. And the mission that we have and I've been charged with is to close that gap. And I really believe if we can do that, what a story that's going to be nationally. You know, because this place still has a great name. Yeah. And, you know, that's what, that's what we're, we're striving for. Well, you mentioned that 1990 Paul Westhead led coached team led by Bo Kimball, Hank Gathers, I think Terrell Lowry, Fisher, yep. a couple other names. Um, they were synonymous for a run and gun style. Uh, they were putting up points like you couldn't imagine that the eight seconds or less was not even a thought. It was more like five seconds or less. Right. When you look at that style of play, how would you describe your team's style of play and what you want it to look like? Well, I, I, I hope we can average 125 points. The reality is, <laughs> you know, we're not going to do it. It's funny. I was meeting with some guys the other day and we were going down. Okay, let's go through the minutes. How many points are you going to average? How much do you think he's going to average? We, I think we ended up at 125. And I'm like, <laughs> most guys aren't playing that many minutes and most guys are going to score that much. But I, I want to play a style that, um, you know, basketball's changing. And I'm a big believer in positionless basketball. And when you go into recruiting, there's a lot of kids that want to run pick and roll. Big guys want to shoot threes. And, you know, sometimes you can make promises to kids that you're, you know, you're not willing to really do as a coach. And I don't want to do that. The things that I say in recruiting, I, I, I hope to be true. So for us, you know, sometimes it's going to be about who you're guarding. But offensively, I don't even want to give these guys positions. I want them to be players. You know, so the skill set, being able to dribble, being able to pass, being able to shoot. You know, I want all five guys on the floor that can do that. Obviously, last year when we took over, I inherited a team. And, um, you know, we had to play a certain way because we couldn't do this. I think a year removed now with another summer, I didn't have a summer. We're closer to what I'm talking about now. But we want to play in space. We want to attack you in transition. Um, and if we don't get anything, then we want to execute at a high level. That being said, uh, you know, again, we're not going to score 125 points, but we want to play at a faster pace. And the last piece of, I want to be an elite rebounding team. And that's the one thing I thought our guys really bought into last season. We can play in space, we can be very skilled, but I don't want to lose the physicality. And if you can match those two things, now I think you become a little different. Yeah, the positionless game, the way it's evolving is something that I love. Uh, I wish it would have been more like that when I played, but I think all former players kind of look at that and say, I wish I could have done this and that, but it is what it is. When you look at the, the influence of the international game, 
you see a lot of the positionless basketball. How much of the Olympics have you been watching or maybe the NBA playoffs to kind of maybe gather some more thoughts about how you want your team uh, to play the game? Yeah, this offseason, I've really studied uh, a lot of different teams in the NBA and their spacing, you know, offensively and what they're doing. You know, so I spent a lot of time there. And again, a lot of that is driven from Europe. I'll be honest with you, I, I have not watched too much of the Olympics. It's you know, hard although, to find the time. They come on at like so, two in the morning. It, yeah, it's, it's so hard. So those things will be recorded. And then, you know, once we have a little break here, we have two more weeks in summer. You know, I plan on, again, going back, looking at those things and studying it. But, uh, you know, some of those teams over there, man, they're so advanced, especially offensively. Uh, so that's kind of been my offseason and what we've been doing. About coaching influences, you know, you played, as I mentioned, uh, and you kind of went right into the coaching path. Uh, is that something that you knew from a young age you wanted to get into the coaching, or was there a, a coach early on that kind of uh, maybe shared an experience with you or, or shared some encouragement that, that you would be really good as a coach, and then who's kind of helped you along the way? Yeah, I think it was all of that. I think, as you know, you were a dynamic player. Um, I realized early I was pretty good, but I wasn't that good. And I needed to figure out something. And, uh, you know, basketball had done so much for my life. You know, if you know my story, but so much for my life. And I really didn't want to take my hand out of that huddle. I didn't want to. And if I could give back to the game, I wanted to. And I think, you know, towards like my junior year, I really started thinking about coaching and what that looked like and maybe some of my experiences as a player what could I do different to maybe help a, a kid's experience you know so um, I, I you know it's probably two years into college when I really started to think about it and I was very fortunate you know I, I played for a guy at Bemidji State I, and who was an assistant at Southern Utah he gave me my first job and that was great and this guy was a coach's coach and you know you're sleeping in the basement uh, sweeping the floors you driving the bus or the van, you're doing a scar, you're doing it all, getting paid 12 grand a year. My dad's like, what are you doing, man? You know, are you serious? You're a smart guy, you have a degree. Uh, but that was a great experience. And because from there, everything that I got in the business, I appreciated more. And you, you understand the value of things a little better. And that's not to knock the guys that start high and get high, that's great. You know, that's, you can do that, do that. But this has really helped me. But, you know, then I've had guys like Jim Boylan, who was the head coach of Chicago Bulls. I worked for him at Utah, who really taught me the art of preparing, um, how you game plan. I was at Northridge for a year. I worked for a guy by the name of Bobby Braswell. Uh, and his whole deal was organization. I mean, he was the most organized human being I've ever been around. His whole theory was, hey, we can win 60% of our games just on sheer organization. So that was great. Herb Sendak who I was with at Arizona State, who I consider a tremendous CEO now at Santa Clara. You know, he really taught me what it was like to be a, a CEO, to see things from a 50,000 foot view and uh, how you run a program, you know? So, uh, and there's been so many others. And, um, but those experiences have, have helped shape things I like, things I don't like, but I've, I've taken from all those guys. And then, you know, finishing at Marquette, I mean, I always say nobody does basketball better in terms of what they invest and how it's resourced. So I've seen the lowest level and I've seen the very highest, and it's really helped shape who I want this program to be. 
Yeah, that is right. That is true. You know, there's coaches at, at so many different levels that have different skill sets. It can kind of pour into young coaches uh, and help them prepare for opportunities like you are now at as a, as a head coach. When you look at going from year one in a pandemic to year two, how much more prepared do you feel? I know that might be a, a tough question because you didn't because you go into a no coach had to go into a pandemic as their first year uh, other than a couple guys like yourself who that got their first opportunity. But how much more do you feel prepared this year maybe than last? I'll be honest with you, Dan. I'm, I'm actually a little on edge and I'm a little edgy because I felt like the pandemic, even though it was horrific, it, it, it had me so locked in because it wasn't a matter of like, if we get COVID, it was when. And we, we, we had so many contingency plans of what that looked like. Okay, here's what our 10 day policy is gonna look like. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Here are what the guys are doing, even in the room if they're secluded. Here are the things we're gonna, all right. Like we were ultra, 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 ultra prepared. And some of that was year one and you're trying to impress. And then we took a jump and I think which surprised a lot of people. It didn't surprise anybody here. What I'm fearful of is, especially now, I don't want to lose sight of that urgency, uh, that organization, just because now, you know, we're maybe on the other side of COVID, hopefully, and we may be in a normal year. I think we got to go, we got to ramp it up even more. So uh, I feel prepared, but I'm probably overdoing it because I don't want to go backwards. I'm just speaking for me. Yeah. You know, I don't want to look at myself a year from now and go, you you gave it a little more year one than you did year two, because in year two, you things were going to go back to normal. You know, for me, there is no normal. You know, it, it, it requires what it requires. Uh, tremendous honesty and insight. I appreciate that. Coach, I, I look forward to calling uh, games again this year from the broadcast booth. Hopefully that includes a game at Gersten Pavilion. I had some good memories mainly because they were victories for my yeah, I don't like Bulldogs. I don't like that. Hopefully I get to uh, see you enjoying a win or two in Gersten this next year in the broadcast booth. So thanks again for your time. Appreciate you having me, man. Appreciate it. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.